you want to play up to your standard. You know, things happen, you don't play as well as you want to, and it's, it's all about how you respond, bounce back, grind throughout the week, and then uh, come out and perform better next week. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. Yesterday afternoon, there was a story put out through the ringer, right? Bill Simmons, thingamabob, right? Blog, sports, pop culture, podcast, you know, the ringer. It's owned by Spotify now. And Nora Princiati, who's covered the NFL for a long time, very respected reporter, respected writer, an analyst, wrote a story. This is the title. This is the headline. Aaron Rodgers dangled hope for a historic comeback. All the Jets got in return was failure. And then I'll read you the next line. Rodgers seemed to convince the Jets he could return from Achilles surgery faster than any player in NFL history. Believing him cost the Jets their season. If you haven't read the story, it's a compelling read. It's a little bit of a summary of all the Aaron Rodgers headlines and all the things that have happened this year. And this is what Packers fans, we know this after our experience the last few seasons with Aaron Rodgers and all the drama and unhappiness until he exited Green Bay. And it's like drama. It's not, it wasn't that big of a deal, but there's always something going on, right? What you realize is you could almost put together a timeline. It's like, oh, remember when this story came out and then we reacted and then this thing and then, then that led to this and that and the other thing. It's, it's a timeline. It's a spectrum. It never ends with Rodgers, right? So she goes through all of the different kind of stepping stones of Aaron Rodgers from getting injured in week one to then making this statement and making that statement and talking about this and, and that I did not reference this story on last night's show. I don't think I tweeted about it. I don't think I did anything with it. And it's not because it's a bad story. It's a fine story. But I don't need to dunk on Rodgers for content right now. And I'm a little disappointed some in the media like Rodgers is getting dragged down the herd. Like, of course, he was never coming back. I knew it. And then Nick Wright, who I very much enjoy. On first things first yesterday, of course he was never coming back. It was lunacy to ever believe he was coming back. It's like, okay, hey, we don't we don't need to do this. We, we, we don't need we don't need to take a victory lap that Aaron Rodgers didn't come back from an Achilles injury. Okay. I don't need to take victory laps on the show regarding Aaron Rodgers stories because I just I don't need to take victory laps for content. Some shows do, I don't. <laughs> Up top. There's no one else in here. Uh, I high five myself. But like Rogers read some lines and, and read some tidbits from, uh, or, or Bill, not Rogers. Bill Michaels earlier today read some of this article, and a buddy texted me. He's like, oh, that, that article's slander, that article. No, it's the truth. Like, the Rogers circus was pretty wild in New York. But we enable him. Do we not? The media, we chase our tails in circles around and around. Every time he says something, every time he does something, we choose to take it seriously. We choose to breathe life into it. So I'll actually defend Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Oh, so he wanted to come back from an Achilles injury. Maybe a little misguided, but if that's the worst thing he's doing. And everyone wants to drag the Nathaniel Hackett, you know, offensive coordinator hire. Everyone wants to drag the Alan Lazard signing. Yeah, they didn't go well this year. But I also don't think we should hold those things against Aaron Rodgers simply because he got a catastrophic injury four plays into the season. I don't think that's fair. So I, while I've been very critical of Aaron Rodgers in the past and using Green Bay, I don't know, cut him some slack. We're all dragging him. What, because he's, his Achilles got injured? Just doesn't seem fair to me. I wanted to say that at the beginning of the show. And if it, maybe you're out there like, Grant, he deserves to be dragged. Maybe, but 
I don't know. We have more productive ways to use our two hours we have every night. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you're having an excellent day. I had an experience this afternoon, and I have to share it at some point during the show. And I just hope that Dave from Monona hears it uh, because I thought of him the entire time. Uh, I had to do some Christmas shopping, some last-minute things, you know, go pick up a a thing or two this afternoon. And I went to a very specific store, and I am very excited to share the details of my experience at the store because, uh, well, Dave from Monona is going to love it. Uh, and I think by the end of my, my story, which will be brief, I'm not going to tell you a 15-minute story about going Christmas shopping. But by the end of my story, I think Dave will actually be proud of me. Uh, Dave does not think much of my, uh, my masculinity. So I'm going I'm to prove myself to Dave. At some point during tonight's show, I also want to talk a little bit about the Brewers. I want to talk a little bit about Joe Barry and the Packers defense. Joe Barry might still be at the podium. He was at the podium at about 3.55. I was watching a little bit of his press conference and... Uh, I I saw some of his comments. Maybe we'll read some of those. We'll talk about them. I want to talk about his defense at a schematic level. Uh, Zoom out just a little bit. Because my my issue is not necessarily with Joe Barry, the man, or or his scheme, although I don't love his scheme. I I think there's a a big-picture issue in Green Bay defensively. And I think the issue has persisted for the better part of a decade or more. Really, you know, basically every season of, of my life, or every season of, let's say, the Aaron Rodgers era, so 2009 until now, with the exception of 2010 and maybe 2014, right? I I think Green Bay has had big picture, like organizational issues on defense, and and that's bigger than any one coordinator or one assistant coach or one draft pick. So I want to have that conversation. doesn't mean I'm going to defend Joe Barry, but I think this conversation needs to be a little bit bigger than Joe Barry. So we're going to have that conversation coming up in just a little bit. Mike Clemens. Set to join us at 5.30. Mike's getting way too much of me. He joined me on the huddle last night. Uh, Mike's probably ready to be done talking to me for the week. He's going to join us at 5.30. He's talking with Joe Barry right now. He's a part of this press conference, so he'll share with uh, with us what he heard and what the discussion was. Because when a press conference is going on during the show, all I can really do is, is read some quotes kind of in between comments on the air. So we'll get the full picture from Mike. No calls tonight because it's Thursday. We're a little bit more content heavy. I got some stats and some figures, some facts that I want to share with you and some more in-depth conversations I want to have. I do, however, want to start before we get to any of that. I want to start with the NBA lounge, okay? And here's the situation. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I do feel bad starting Thursday shows in the NBA lounge because there's you know, big football stories going on. There's other news. And it's like, Grant, you like the NBA and some like the NBA, and it's kind of a fun segment we do once a week, but should we really... Start the show at the NBA. Today, I am pleased, confident even, to begin the show in the NBA lounge. I think it's the perfect way to begin tonight's show. Because I can't do another minute of Devondre Campbell gate. We've talked so much about Matt LaFleur. We've talked so much about Joe Barry. I can't start the show with it. I need a little break. I need a breath of fresh air. And I bet a lot of you guys do too. I want to speak on your behalf, and if you're like, no, we need to talk about Joe Barry. Okay, well, we'll do it in like a half hour. I just don't want to start with it. I mean, a little bit of a break. I want to talk about our Bucks. They play the Orlando Magic tonight, which will be an exciting matchup, and I think an illustrative matchup, because the Magic are a lot of things the Bucks aren't. They're younger. They're more athletic. They're more energetic. The Bucks are older, more experienced, right? A veteran-laden team. The Magic are kind of the yin to their yang. So it'll be a fun matchup. It'll fun be fun to see how that game goes tonight. I'm excited to watch. Maybe even more so than Thursday night. Who plays tonight? I can't even remember. I'll watch both. 
Who am I kidding? The Bucks have won five in a row. And their wins have come against Chicago. That was an overtime game. Indiana, that was Giannis's 64-point game. And then a three-game roughhousing of Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio. Detroit is miserable bad. I mean, I was at that game. It was over in five minutes. And I don't know if there has been another Bucks game this year that's been over in five minutes. They've hung around with bad teams. They've played, a, you know, close with good teams most of the time. They haven't had a lot of barn burner. That was a barn burner. It was done in five or six minutes. Houston is not terrible, but they're not great. San Antonio didn't have Wembenyama, so they're, for the most part, quite bad. And the Bucks won these last three games, Detroit, Houston, San Antonio, by an average of 18 points. So they've been running away with these games. The Bucks are building good vibes, okay? And I mentioned this briefly last night, but I want to talk about this just a little bit more. The Bucks desperately need some good vibes as they grow and as they figure out their defense, as Coach Adrian Griffin figures out how to be an NBA coach for the first time because he's doing this for the first time. They need good vibes, okay? Because as they work through their struggles and as they work through some of their miscommunications and as they work through their frustration, it helps a lot if they're clocking Detroit by 30 points. And it's a lot easier if they're handling Houston and it's a lot easier if they're having a really fun game and a big win over San Antonio. So while that Detroit win on Saturday night might not seem like much, they beat up on a really bad team. Well, lots of different players got involved. Marjan Bochamp and Andre Jackson Jr., for example, in the first half were pouring in buckets, playing really well. Giannis had his kids on the bench in the fourth quarter. They're building good vibes. They're building fun experiences and they're getting a chance to succeed together. Right, and we've talked about this idea with the Packers throughout this year. I know a lot of you would actually prefer if the Packers would lose more games. That means better draft picks. Right, that means they're in a better position this offseason. And I understand that line of thinking a, a bit. I disagree in the application of that line of thinking. I'm never going to cheer against my team. Now, I, I might think if they lose a game, oh, silver lining, West Bend the silver lining, they're going to get better picks. Okay, I'm never going to cheer for my team to lose, but we don't need to talk about that. Right, But I've said with the Packers, hey, even if you think, even if you want them to lose games and even if you want them to play for draft picks, you do realize that these are human beings who are coming to work every day. They're playing football games. That's their job. They need opportunities to earn wins together. And they need, even amidst an up-and-down season, even in a rocky season with lots of ugly losses, they need some exciting wins. Need some wins, Right? You need a little moral victory, or, or not a moral victory, a legit victory. You need a chance to win a game and all together kind of celebrate together in the locker room, be able to, to feel what that feels like together and, and get those positive experiences together because this Bucks team's got some new pieces, Malik Beasley, Damian Lillard, Adrian Griffin. They're going to work through things. They're going to struggle, and they're going to continue to struggle throughout the season. You hope the struggles get smaller, you, know, you hope that the struggles get fewer and farther between, but they're going to be working on things all season. It's a lot easier to work on things, and it's a lot easier to go through adversity when you have some wins mixed in there. You know, I always joke about uh, about Dave Ramsey because the last two months or so, I've just discovered that Dave Ramsey YouTube clips are like the most interesting. It's the most compelling radio in the world. People calling in and explaining that they're in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and listening to Dave 
like tear down their life and build up it. There's nothing more compelling on the radio. There, there's no, I have yet to find something in sports radio that matches up entertainment wise. Right. So I'm not going to lecture you on finances here, but something that Dave always preaches. I call him Dave because I'm a fan now. Something Dave always talks about. Well, you need to knock out little debts. Right. That's why when you you do the death, I'm just I'm preaching the gospel of Dave Ramsey, which is not my intention. But right. You want to attack the death smallest, the biggest. That's always what they preach, because you want those little moral victories of checking things off a list. It's the same in sports. Even when a team is rebuilding and struggling and they're not contending, you still need to mix in the little victories and, and the positive vibes and the good experiences and the Bucks beating the pulp out of the Pistons and handling Houston and handling San Antonio and getting to do it at home and with the home fans. It's important. It's important that they have those experiences and it's important that they, they have good vibes. And speaking of vibes, Bobby Portis is hooping. Bobby Portis brings so much energy and character to this team. Go to a game at Fiserv and listen to the crowd when he checks in and feel the energy in the building when he checks in. He adds a lot to this. And while Bobby is not a shoe-in to play and to play a lot in every single matchup against every single opponent, he's a really important player to this team. And the Bucks are not good enough to get nothing from Bobby Portis and still contend at a high level. The Bucks are not good enough to win multiple playoff series and hang with the other contenders in the East if they're getting nothing from Bobby Portis. That doesn't mean he needs to play a ton every single game, and that doesn't mean that he needs to play big minutes and score 30 points every game, but here and there, or against one particular opponent, or in one particular game, he's going to have to have some moments for this team to get where they want to go. And the last couple of games, he had 30 against uh, Detroit. He had close to 30 against San Antonio. It's good to see him engaged and fired up and playing at a high level because the Bucks need it. The Bucks need that to contend at a high level and to contend with some of the other best teams in the East. And speaking of some of the other best teams in the East, you know, I hate to bring up the Celtics. I was watching them play my Kings just a little bit last night, and we talked the other night about their loss in overtime in Golden State, right? I am told that the Bucks have a bozo head coach and that their offense is a little bit of a clown car late in games like it's my turn your turn right putting up putting up contested shots there's not a lot of rhyme or reason behind crunch time offense and I don't even entirely believe that that's not true I think their crunch time offense could be a little bit more organized I think their offense could be more organized but they lost their lead assistant and their de facto offensive coordinator and Terry Stotts right before the season so I'm told that the Bucks have a bozo coach and a disorganized frazzled offense right but then I watch the Celtics And I watch the Celtics in the games that aren't going so well. The Celtics obviously are a very good team and they win some games very convincingly and they look very good in some games. But then I watch games where they maybe don't look so good. And the game against the Warriors the other night is, I think, the most recent and best example. I'm not sure the Celtics have a great crunch time offense. And I'm not sure that the Celtics are really well coached. Are you follow Bill Simmons? You see him bitching all the time about Sekiro Joe, Joe Missoula, their head coach not taking timeouts at the proper spots, not drawing anything up late in games because it's Tatum and Brown trading contested, really high degree of difficulty jump shots. Right? This tweet from Jason Timpf the other night, who works at The Volume, which is Colin Cowherd's podcast network. He's the NBA guy. He tweeted this. Jason Tatum's obsession with pull-up threes is one of the strangest superstar trends in the league. There are eight players in the league who take at least five of them a game and they all shoot 35% or better on them, except Tatum, who's below 30%. He was below 30% last year, too. So 
I don't really feel comfortable slamming the Bucks and how disorganized and how difficult their offense is while also then turning around and saying, well, the Celtics are that much better and the Celtics are way better coached and their offense late in games is much more cohesive. That's not true. That's not true. So Bucks fans, I, I would implore you, you know, yes, focus on our team. Yes, pay attention to the struggles of our team where they need to get better, where they need to improve whether it be coaching or whether it be execution, energy, focus, whatever. Yeah, focus on our house. Watch our bobber. But consider that other teams, like the Celtics, like the Sixers, like the Heat, uh, other teams go through struggles too, right? So a, a complaint that you might have about the Bucks, chances are that another NBA fan is going to also have that complaint with their team at some point in the season, Right? So, Bucks fans, let's take a little bit of a deep breath. It feels like we've maybe settled into a nice groove of basketball. We've started to build some good vibes, started to build some chemistry. Hopefully, Adrian Griffin is just loosening up a little bit. That would be my one thing with Adrian Griffin. It's like, dude, smile. Be energetic. Wake up. It looks like you're, you're frazzled. It looks like you're lost sometimes when you're on the sideline. You're coaching an NBA team. A good one. Enjoy it. Smile. Be joyful in, in, in what you do and in the way that you coach. Because with the Bucks, our, our expectations are so high and our floor, our baseline level of competence and satisfaction for the Bucks is so high. Remember that a lot of these little things that we worry about and complain about, a lot of other NBA teams do too, okay? It's not like our team is the only team that has bad games and, and bad moments, questions about a coach or questions about a certain player and a certain trend. There's something to think about, a little positivity. When we come back, I have a couple more comments about the NBA, a couple more comments about the Bucks, including something I want to share with you regarding Chris Middleton. Our friend Jim Ozarski at the Journal Sentinel wrote an awesome story about Middleton today. I retweeted it at Wisco Grant. You should go read it if you haven't already. Let's take a three-minute break. We'll come back, continue the NBA lounge, and get into Packers before too long. It's the Wisco Sports Show. Back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, appreciate you listening. Mike Clemens, about an hour away. I want to talk about Joe Barry and the Packers defense coming up in about 10 minutes. I'm no Joe Barry fan. I don't want him to be retained. But I'm going to defend Joe Barry a little bit in that I think the Packers problem on defense is bigger than one man. It's bigger than one defensive staff. It's bigger than Joe Barry. It's bigger than all of us. Goes all the way up to the vice president of the United States, not of the Packers, which who would that be right now? Ed Ed Policy? Isn't that the, that the guy who's slated to take over for Mark Murphy? It's just really funny because Ed Policy sounds like a South Park character. Sounds like the character in South Park that would take over to be CEO of a, of a football team like the Green Bay Packers. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. If you want to interact with the show tonight, uh, like I said, we're going to get into the Packers in just a few minutes. It's Thursday, so we started in the NBA lounge. Just talked about the Bucks for a couple minutes. The Bucks have won five in a row. They beat the Bulls in overtime. They clocked, clocked the Detroit Pistons. They beat the Rockets. They beat San Antonio. They're winning their last three or four games by an average. Well, I guess their last three games directly by an average of 18 points. They beat the Bulls last week in overtime, which I thought it's like, why are we 
messing around with the Bulls. Why are we taking this team to overtime? This team's terrible. All of a sudden, the Bulls might not be terrible. And some of you maybe haven't noticed this, but the funniest thing is happening with the Chicago Bulls. This is really fun, like comical. Funny is actually I laugh at it. Not like, oh, this is funny. This is interesting. No, like it's it's funny. I find humor in this. Zach Levine is one of the Bulls' top players, right? They have DeMar DeRozan and they have Zach Levine. Zach Levine wants to be traded. He doesn't want to play there anymore. He hasn't been happy for a little while. He's always been one of those players. It's like, is he going to ask for a trade? Is the team going to trade? How's this going to go down? Because this doesn't seem like this is going to go the distance, right? So Zach Levine wants to be traded. He's got foot inflammation, quote unquote. Okay. He's been about uh, two or three weeks. He's been out of the lineup now. And the foot inflammation, at least the way I'm reading it, and the way that it's it's being interpreted by the masses is, yeah, maybe his foot's a little bit injured, but he doesn't want to play. He's trying to get traded, so he's not going to play again for the Bulls. Okay, the Bulls were on a 1-8 and eight stretch when Zach Levine got hurt. They stunk. And since Zach Levine got foot inflammation and started missing all these games, they're 6-3, and three, and the numbers have all spiked. I mean, this is hilarious. Okay, so their previous nine games... They were averaging 102 points per game. Their last nine games, and the Bucs have played them within this last nine-game window, 117 points a game. Okay, so 15 points a game. That's a nice little bump in the average. The three-point percentage went up from 34% to 40%. Free throw attempts per game went from 19 to 23. And assists per game, and this is not a surprise, went from 21 to 27. Just really, really funny. So Zach Levine gets the the award for that that moment in the other guys when Will Ferrell goes, did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Right, and then Mark Wahlberg throws his coffee on him. So Zach Levine is on the bench thinking, oh, my team got a lot better without me very quickly. So those Bulls games, the one last week, they took the Bucks to overtime. And the Bucks could have played a lot better. And the Bucks have this habit of, like making every possible mistake they can make while still winning the game. Now, that hasn't been the case against Detroit and Houston and San Antonio the last couple games, but those teams are so bad, I don't know that it matters. Although, they went down to the wire with the Pistons earlier this season. I think that was the game Giannis got ejected, which was stupid. But still, right, the Pistons are that bad. The Bucks did go down to the wire with them. Marcus Sasser just turned into prime Michael Jordan for a quarter and a half in that game. That was bizarre. But last week, I look at that Bulls game a little less critically now because the Bulls all of a sudden are playing good basketball, and all they needed to do was not play Zach Levine, which I think is really funny. I would go to the Journal Sentinel today if you haven't already, if you're someone that likes reading about sports. Our friend Jim Ozarski put out a really good story about Chris Middleton and what his life and what his career arc has been like since his injury against the Bulls in the playoffs in 2021. And then they beat the Bulls, but then they go on to lose to the Celtics in the second round in seven. And that's the year. And I, and I still believe it to be true that if Chris Middleton was available and even close to correct, I think the Bucks beat the Celtics. Now, maybe they don't beat the Heat in the finals, the conference finals, that is. I don't know. Um, I, I felt pretty good. I actually think the Bucks were better in 2021 than they were in 2020. But as often is evidenced in sports, you don't win when it's your year. You often win someone else's championship. Eric Eager's talked about this a lot. He's the first one I heard talk about it, and I think it's really good logic. The Packers won in 2010. That probably wasn't their Super Bowl to win. 
right? They kind of snuck up on everyone. They were definitely the surprise team to win that year. Then the next year, they go 15-1. and They're the one seed. And the Giants kind of come out of nowhere and win the Super Bowl, right? So the Giants won the Packers Super Bowl. I don't know whose Super Bowl the Packers won. Would it have been the Bears or the Falcons? Uh, I I guess, you know, maybe the the Steelers in the AFC. And so long ago, I can't really remember. I, I think the Bucks won the Nets championship in 2020. And I think, depends on how you look at it. I think the Warriors in 2021 then won the Celtics championship or the Bucks championship. I mean, the Bucks are better the next year, but then the Bucks get hurt and they lose to the Celtics. The Celtics should have won that championship, but then again, the Bucks, if they were healthy, would have beat the Celtics. So who knows? The point is you often win a championship that's not supposed to be won by you, right? You win someone else's championship. So we can go back and get, I guess we just did 2021. It's not really the point of the story. The story is Chris Middleton reflecting on the last couple of years, which has been, Really up and down. A couple injuries that are coming to a head that he managed or dealt with for a long time that needed to be resolved in surgery, needed to have some sort of operation, right? And I just, it humanizes Chris Middleton. It's very interesting to hear him talk about what's been going on with his body. The schedule of the NBA the last couple of years, too, has not been conducive to Chris Middleton and the place he's at in his career and the place he's at with all of these individual injuries and his health. Right, because because of the pandemic, there were a couple of seasons that were jammed together, and then the Olympics, and then the short off season, and and trying to get back on the on the regular schedule of the NBA starting in October, which means the Bucks won a title, and then had a very short off season before the next season fired up again, and then Chris Middleton had an injury and surgery the next year, so he's never really had the last few years a legitimate off season, and you know part of that is he got injured and he needed to spend an off season kind of taking it easy. But it's also the pandemic. Like, I'll blame blame COVID. We blame COVID for a lot of things. We can blame COVID for Chris Middleton and the wonky schedule of the last couple of years. Look, when I watch Chris Middleton right now, I think his offense is as good as ever. He can put the ball in the hoop. He's got a very good touch finding guys as a passer, but not like a traditional point guard, more like a quarterback almost in transition. Or He's played with Giannis a long time, so he's got a good feel of, what lobs he can throw and what types of entry passes he can throw. He'll dribble the ball off his toe every once in a while, and he's not the most sure-handed with the basketball. But his offense and his offensive creation for others is as good as it's ever been. I worry about his defense and his physicality. He's cooked, and when he's out there, they go right at him. Everybody goes right at him. For the most part, there's not much he can do. There's a lot of standing around when his player does not have the ball, when his player that he's guarding doesn't have the ball. Not much of a rebounder, although he'll turn it on a little bit late in games. The offense is fine. I'm wondering if the Bucs have enough defense to basically be okay playing Chris Middleton down the stretch in close ball games. Their offense needs to make up for that. And Adrian Griffin, who is a defensive coach, needs to do a better job scheming up defense. There are personnel challenges to the the Bucs defense that they haven't had the last few years. They don't have Drew anymore, for example. Chris Middleton's getting older. He's not the defender that he once was. But Adrian Griffin's got to be able to scheme up a little better than he's scheming up because a lot of the issues I see with the Bucks defense, they're not necessarily related to personnel. They're related to organization and focus and clarity and scheme. And those are things that Adrian Griffin's supposed to specialize in as a defensive head coach. So 
I would like to see him organize this defense a little bit better. And if Chris Middleton get, you know, gets cooked, guys get cooked all the time. It's the NBA. Players are really good. Um, but Adrian Griffin needs to, you know, let's, let's coach this up a little bit better. I know you're a first-year head coach, but this is your wheelhouse, defense. So let's be a little bit better. And, and Chris Middleton being essentially fish food on defense becomes a lot less of a problem when I think Adrian Griffin and hopefully the rest of this roster kind of buy in and figure out what the heck they're trying to do on defense. Let's take a five-minute break. I want to come back, talk about the Packers, talk about Joe Barry. It's the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, Mike Clemens, a little bit less than an hour away. Going to give us the latest. What's going on in Green Bay today? Joe Barry spoke with the media right before 4 o'clock. Probably wrapped up just a couple minutes ago. His pressers normally are uh, lengthy. Say what you want about Joe Barry. He never shortchanges the media. Never shortchanges the fans or the owners, in the case of myself. He'll always stand up there, give nice, long answers. Take all the time. Which was the same with Aaron Rodgers, too. Like, I get all the audio of all the press conferences, and I cut them up into individual answers. Joe Barry answers are often 45 seconds, 60 seconds. Like, he'll go. It's a lot more interesting and entertaining to listen to him talk when his defense isn't crap in the bed like they did on Sunday. We'll get the latest from Mike, what he heard from Joe Barry. And maybe I'll play you a clip or two or read you a quote. Uh, Maybe some of the most important things that Joe Barry had to say. Maybe most important is the wrong wordage, the most hard-hitting, the the comment that cuts the deepest about what's going on with this defense. This Packers defense is broken right now. All right. Now, I'm not saying it's all Joe Barry's fault. I'm not saying it's all Brian Gutekind's fault. I'm not saying the players suck. I'm not saying Jair is a fraud and sitting out and he doesn't want to play. I'm not. But the defense is broken right now. Is Is there one thing that they do well? What do they hang their hat on? What's their thing, right? They're not that good in coverage, and certainly part of that is because their personnel has gotten a lot worse as the year's gone along, right? Lost Rasul Douglas, lost Jair Alexander, who hasn't played in almost two months. But they're not a good team in coverage at all. Their linebackers don't cover well either. Devondre Campbell got cooked in coverage. Quay Walker has regressed. They're not good against the run. Giving up 200-plus rushing yards how many times this year? Four times. Four t- four times? Five times? It's at least four, right? Which is like two or three too many. And every once in a while, you play a great rushing team. You play the Eagles. Or you play a team that can really put it on the ground like the Niners. And you have a bad day against a really good team. That's fine. Four times? Three times? However many times it's been, they've given up 200-plus yards. Can't happen. So they're not good in coverage. They're not good against the run. You could say that their strength is rushing the passer. Okay, I could see that. I think on their good days, they can rush the passer. And on Sunday, they rushed the passer. They had five sacks. But it didn't matter. Because they didn't take those sacks. They didn't take the negative yardage. They didn't take the second and long, the third and long. And they didn't get off the field. Right? So if your strength is rushing the passer, you expect sacks. You expect negative plays, tackles for loss, maybe a turnover here and there. And I guess they got one turnover. But... If your strength is rushing the passer, you expect a lot of second and longs, third and longs. And this isn't a defense that gets off the field on second and long or on third and long. 
So that's a problem. That's an issue. And their pass rush can disappear week by week. It disappeared against the Giants. It disappeared at times, you know, earlier in the year, too. So I'm not really sure what this defense is supposed to be good at. The Joe Barry scheme, which is an extension of the Brandon Staley scheme, which was in L.A., which is an extension of the Vic Fangio scheme. He's been in Denver and Chicago, and now he's in Miami. Right. The idea is you avoid big plays. Right. You play a little conservative. You play no doubles defense, two high safeties, or uh, secondary players that play a little bit off, and you prevent big plays, and you force a team to beat you little by little by little. But the Packers don't even do that. They give up a bunch of big plays on Sunday. So if we're not covering well, and we're not stopping the run, and we're not preventing big plays, which means that even if we get a sack, it doesn't guarantee anything, we'll give up a big play. We'll give up a second and 20 or a third and 12. Even on a screen play, even on a play that's like not designed to pick up all the yards, they'll give up all the yards. So the main thing schematically that this defense is supposed to do, they don't do. They can't cover. They can't stop the run. They can rush the passer sometimes, but because of all the other issues on the defense, that doesn't really matter. What's this defense good at? And and if you go outside scheme, let's forget about scheme for a sec. Let's think about the Packers defensive culture, right? The way they play, the way they hit, the way they tackle, the way they develop players. And by, by that, I mean, they don't develop players. They don't tackle. They don't hit hard. They're not sticky in coverage. They're not good at anything. And I think this is a problem that's persisted before Joe Barry. It's a problem that persisted before Mike Pettin for years and years with Tom Capers. It's not the fault of the defensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator is like the principal, okay? The, the principal oversees the school and make sure the budget is followed and, and, you know, keeps an eye on the big picture, all the spreadsheets, all the data. I actually don't really know what a principal does uh, precisely. I'm just speaking in general terms. The principal oversees the whole operation. And then on a day-by-day basis, an hour-by-hour basis, the teachers are the ones that interact and have an impact on the kids, on the students, right? And I don't think a football team is that different. Now, I, I think a defensive coordinator probably interacts with defensive players a little bit more often than a principal would interact with kids but day to day hour to hour in position room or in position group meetings and in film sessions and out on the practice field these players are interacting with their position coaches a lot more than they're interacting with joe barry and i don't know that that's been a wildly productive state of affairs either like i don't know if the packers defensive staff was a school I, I don't think they have a, a you know, a drop-dead defensive coordinator or principal in Joe Barry, but I also don't feel that strongly about any of these position coaches. Like, well, I don't see a lot of good tendencies and communication in the secondary. Wouldn't lead me to believe that whoever's teaching them and coaching them up is doing a great job. I, I don't see great technique against the run. I, I don't think their pass rushers have great lane integrity. They, they get too far up the field and let Tommy DeVito squirt out behind him for 50 yards rushing, or what did he have, 70, 80 yards? I don't even remember. So I don't know that the principal is that good. I don't know that the teachers are that good. If it's me, I, I am getting rid of all the staff. I'm getting rid of the administration. I am taking the school and leveling it, and I'm building a brand new school that will belong to a new district with a new principal with all new teachers. 
because this isn't just Joe Barry. This is a cultural thing, right? This is an organizational thing. And I think part of having a poor defensive culture and having a poor defensive organization is even when you invest high draft picks or you invest free agency money into that organization, you're not going to get your money's worth. And I think that's part of the problem with this Packers defense too. Like, I don't know that Quay Walker is being coached and taught and molded in the best possible way to get the most out of his game and the most out of his skill set. I, I don't know with Lucas Van Ness. There's some flashes there, but when you draft a raw prospect like Rashawn Gary or Lucas Van Ness, you, you need to have a lot of confidence in your position group coaches and, and your defensive coordinator and everyone involved to preach the right things and to focus on the right things and and and, and to practice the right things. And I don't know that this Packers defense and the coaches and the coordinators practice the right things and preach the right things because nobody on this defense can tackle. And I have a really hard time believing that Brian Gutekunst is only selected players that can't tackle. Well, you got to, you got to draft guys that can tackle. You're telling me that Brian Gutekunst drafted 25 ish guys out of a 53 man roster. If we assume that, you know, defense is about half the offense is about half and special teams mixed throughout both sides of the ball. You're telling me that Brian Gutekunst, has amassed a team of about 25-ish defensive players on this roster, and none of them can tackle? I'm supposed to believe that. I'm supposed to believe that Brian Gutekunst has that big of a blind spot on defensive players that he's amassed an entire defensive roster of guys who can't tackle? I don't believe that. Now, there might be a draft pick here or there or an acquisition here or there. Well, track, tackling isn't their strong suit. It's a cover corner, not a physical tackler, or a pass rusher, ah, not a physical tackler. Okay, sure, here and there. But it's everybody. And I don't think that's just on Brian Gutekunst. I don't think that's just on the scouts. It's draft and develop, right? It's draft and develop. You got to draft the right players. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it doesn't matter who you draft because you got to coach them up the right way. No, no, no. It's nature and nurture. This isn't an either or. Brian Gutekunst has to draft the correct players, and then those players have to be coached up and taught and molded the right way and the Packers have been sinking first round pick first round pick first round pick first round pick into this defense year after year after year and they don't get any better it's just the same and and ah Clinton Dix turned into Darnell Savage and Rashawn Gary is better than Nick Perry but god it feels a little similar and Lucas Van Ness who's to say in four or five years he's not the next Rashawn Gary it's like yeah I like him a lot but is he ever going to make a difference for this team I Quay Walker Kind of feels a lot like guys that have come before him. And Jair, I don't know. He's been unhealthy. He's been hurt. I don't want to judge him too much. But do you know what I, you know what I mean? Do you get what I'm saying? Like the more we invest, the more we throw first-round picks, the more we throw capital into this defense, the more it stays the same. And if you had a financial planner, you know, someone that handled your retirement or someone that handled your investments – and you brought them the same amount of money every month. Here's a hundred bucks. Here's a hundred bucks. Here's a hundred bucks. Just use a round number. And you were always getting back one or 2%. I turned that hundred bucks into 101 and 25 cents. Okay. Um, why should I keep bringing you my money? Like, I understand you'll have up and down months with the stock market and such. Can tell I don't know much about money. Right. But at some point, if I keep investing, keep investing, keep investing, and my return doesn't get any better, 
I'm going to start investing somewhere else. And I don't want Brian Gutekinds to continue to invest first round picks or, or, or second or third round. Forget the first round pick title. I don't want Brian Gutekinds to keep committing resources to new defensive players only to turn them over to this defensive staff that really doesn't seem to know what to do with them. And I understand if you draft Micah Parsons or you draft Nick Bosa, you draft players that are that great, they figure it out regardless. That's not what I'm in. That's not what I'm insinuating. I'm not asking Joe Barry to take Kingsley and Igbare and turn him into Reggie White. But I would like for this collection of Quay Walker and Rashawn Gary and Lucas Van Ness and Kenny Clark, I would like for it to resemble something a little bit better. I would like to feel like we're trending in the right direction. And instead, every season, it kind of feels the opposite. It's very frustrating. And I don't want to keep investing my money with a financial planner that doesn't give me anything in return. Like I'll go somewhere else. I don't want this staff to be trusted with more investment on the defensive side of the ball. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. You want to interact with the show? A couple more minutes. We'll wrap up hour number one of the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports show. Joe Barry spoke with the media a little over an hour ago. I don't know when he wrapped up. I think he started around 3.30. This quote tweeted by Rob Domofsky. This week was particularly hard on me, hard on my family, but this is the NFL. This is what you sign up for. We deal with it. We had a bad game. I have to be better for our guys. I put that on me. Anytime we don't play well, that's on me. Look, Joe Barry needs to go, but Joe Barry is not the problem. Right. Joe Barry is another stooge in a line of stooges that have coordinated mid defenses with mid assistants. I, I just it, it just needs a, it needs a brand new start. It needs a fresh start. Right. And if you think of I said, if you think of a coaching staff like a school, right, the coordinator is the principal, but the principal does not make a direct impact every single day on all of the students, right? That's what the teachers do. The teachers are in the classrooms, hands-on with the kids. The kids don't remember, ah, in seventh grade, you know who really changed my life? Uh, Mr. Smith, the principal. Like, no. Now, the principal had an impact on my life, but that's only because I kept getting called into the principal's office for being a smartass with teachers. So really, when you think about it, still, the teacher was the one having the impact on me because the teacher was like, dude, you need to get this clown out of my class. Uh, So that's still, still, yeah, it still applies. Right, the teachers are the one who teach, well, obviously teach, but impact and leave a lasting impact on, on the kids. And a football team is not that dissimilar, right? Joe Barry has some fault in all of this. He has the most fault. He's in charge. But I don't really feel strongly about any of the position coaches. I don't feel strongly about the culture. I don't feel, I don't feel strong about anything because they don't do anything well. And they get first-round pick after first-round pick after first-round pick. And I can hear Vagamon John, well, what do you mean the 27th overall pick? That's It's still the 27th overall pick. If they were to use a late first-rounder on a defensive player, you're still getting a better defensive player than you would get in the third round or the fourth round or the fifth round. And they keep shoveling resources and shoveling investment into this defense, and it gets no better. right? So it's not just to draft. It's to draft 
and develop. Jeff tweets in, he says, Goot's draft plan is to draft guys that can't tackle with the belief that coaches will teach these professionals one of the most basic parts of the game, which is tackling. I don't know. Like, Jair, so you tell me. I can't remember. I remember Kevin King getting drafted, and one of the things about Kevin King was he wasn't afraid to hit. Right? Kevin King in college was not afraid to tackle. And then he's in the NFL for a couple of years, and all of a sudden he can't tackle. And I can't remember if Jair tackled in college. I can't really remember his draft profile all that well. And I'm definitely not the person to ask because I don't do that much draft stuff. Because for the most part, I don't care. Right? The Packers draft their guys, and then I learn about them. And then I find the information that makes me feel good about them, so then I always win. Right? <laughs> right? So then every pick is a good pick. Now, I understand. Good will draft guys who aren't known for their tackling but are known for this, that, or the other thing. That's fine here and there. What I won't believe, Jeff, and I I don't know if this is what you're saying, but what I won't believe is that Brian Gutekunst has drafted an entire defense and amassed an entire defensive roster of guys that can't tackle. That I won't believe. You're telling me each and every one of these guys individually is poor tackling and there's nothing, nothing the coaches can do. Goody buys the groceries. He buys the ingredients for the defense. They're stuck with what he gives them. Mm. I, I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I buy into that. One or two guys here and there, sure, totally. But if Goody drafts an unbelievable athlete with all the size and all the speed and all the agility, but maybe a little bit more raw, is it so insane to think that well the defensive staff needs to work on fundamentals, work on this and that at the NFL level, right? Is that that insane to think? Develop one guy, help one guy improve his tackling. You know what I'd like? I'd like to see a player get to Green Bay on defense and to see them get better year after year after year. And it often feels like the opposite. Like, Quay Walker is regressing right now. You say, what about Rashawn Gary? Sure. Okay. You you got me. I guess Rashawn Gary is developed. It only took four or five years. Okay, there there it is. Let's take a two-minute break. We'll get an update from Zach Heilprin. (laughs) We'll come back. Talk more about the Packers. Mike Clemens to join us. Maybe some more comments from Joe Barry. Hour two, Wisco Sports Show. Next. Every week you want to play up to your standard. When things happen, you don't play as well as you want to. And it's, it's all about how you respond, bounce back, grind throughout the week, and then uh, come out and perform better next week. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. Going to be a lot of Joe Barry commentary at Thanksgiving this weekend. Or at Thanksgiving. Christmas. Yeah, I have my holidays lined up correctly. Going to be a lot of Joe Barry talk at Christmas. You know, you're going to get to your family gathering. You're going to hug. Nice to see everybody. Hey, can I get you a drink? And then you're going to get a drink and you're going to nestle into maybe a spot in the kitchen where you're going to lean or maybe corner of the couch. Give it a couple minutes. Then, man, what about this Joe Barry cat? And then you're off and running with your uncle or with your cousin, with your grandma. My grandma probably has said a prayer for Joe Barry. Probably wouldn't curse him, but maybe he said a prayer. Be a lot of Joe Barry discourse at Christmas get-togethers this weekend. It'll be fun. 
It's good, a good small talk. Well, what else would be on the list of Wisconsin small talk right now? Uh, Joe Barry. Mm. Are you going to watch the bowl game coming up? Oh, I don't even know who's going to play in it. Yeah, it's, you can't talk much about that. Know, maybe I have to put that together. By the end of the show, maybe we'll do that tomorrow night. We'll put together a list of Wisconsin sports-related small talk topics for you and your relatives that you never see this upcoming weekend. I don't know, it's a good project for tomorrow. I'll get to work on that right away. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, if you would like to make a comment on the show. No calls on Thursdays. I think it's kind of a good system. We get a little bit of a break from each other, and then we hit it hard tomorrow to wrap up the week. You never miss a Friday show. You guys included. I'd never want you to miss a Friday show. So I am on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, if you would like to be part of the show. Jeff says, there was a bit of sarcasm in my tweet. What I'm saying is that Joe Barry, as well as Goody, probably shouldn't get Christmas presents this year. Yes and no. Um, I, I don't know. So with I, I think of the Buccaneers, right? The Buccaneers, when they won their title, yes, they had Tom Brady at quarterback, of course. But the Packers also had Aaron Rodgers at quarterback for a long time, okay? And that is, that is not a wide gap. There is a gap, especially winning in the playoffs, which Brady really had a knack for, and Rodgers, well, we don't need to have that discussion, okay? I don't want to get political, so we can we can leave that bag of chips over in the corner. I don't need to pop that open. But the Packers were always trying to put together the defense that the Buccaneers had, right? And Jason Light, their general manager, put in a first-round pick to get Vita Vea, a second-round pick to get a player like Carlton Davis or Devin White or, you know, all, all of these players, Antoine Winfield Jr., and I remember all of the stories post-Super Bowl were like the story of Jason Light and how he amassed this defense. He invested a first pick, a first round pick here, a second round pick there, a second round pick here. It's, it's like the Packers, are, this is what the Packers are doing. And the draft is mostly a crapshoot. A little bit of his luck, a little bit of it is projection, right? A little special sauce mixed in there. It's not an exact science and no GM is perfect. No GM will ever be perfect. No scout will ever be perfect. It's fluky. But, man, I, I just don't see why a team like the Bucks, who beat the Packers in the playoffs in 2020, 2021, I don't see why the Bucks were able to invest into their defense and, and come away in a way better spot. And you could say, well, they took Vita Vea, that was a premium pick, and Devin White was a top-five pick. Oh, okay, sure. But... I really like some of these Packers players that they've picked. They haven't all been home runs, but I like a lot of the players that they've picked. And it didn't amount to anything. And week after week, you know, I got to listen to commentators wax poetic about uh, Wink Martindale. And, oh, man, he's just so creative and he's aggressive and this, that, and the other thing. And then the next week, oh, Todd Bowles, he just really knows what he's doing. Like, well, why can't the Packers have a guy that, is someone you actually have to worry about, someone you actually have to consider in game planning. Not be afraid of. I don't think anyone's afraid of anyone, but Wink Martindale can really dial it up, and Todd Bowles can really dial it up, and then it's Joe Barry. It's like everyone's asking what the hell he's doing and what the hell his defense is doing. I don't know. Brian Gutekunst, he is he's on a cool throne right now, as they would say on Pardon My Take. There's hot seat. There's cool throne. Brian Gutekinds is on a cool throne because he put together an offense basically in two drafts that is ready to rock and roll, right? With the the picks and the selections of Dobbs and Watson and Wicks and Reed 
and Kraft and Musgrave, who all have looked like in spurts they can totally play, and this offensive line. And it's not just Goody. It's the scouts, and it's the system, and it's the culture that's been in place in Green Bay for so long. It's the other side of the the coin of the Packers' defense. Anything that anybody does on the Packers' defense stinks, but anything that anybody in the front office does about the Packers' offensive line seems to work out. Rasheed Walker right now is second only to Trent Williams in pass block win rate in the NFL. He's been a really good left tackle in pass protection. Now, the competition hasn't been the best in the world. They're not seeing Nick Bosa and Miles Garrett every week. But, you know, the Packers are playing a third-place schedule for a reason. They weren't that good this year, and they got younger and even worse this year. So they're playing the schedule that befits them. And I'm not going to nitpick, well, yeah, Rasheed Walker's look great, but who have they played? I don't know. There's good players everywhere in the NFL. The offensive line has been good. Goody in that front office continues to build it up. Their skill position players are great. A crazy stat, a crazy stat from Mike Sando in The Athletic today. I can't even believe this is real. Uh, And I got to scroll to remember where it was in this story. This is why I I don't like people, and Bill does this from time to time, and I'm not going to argue with Bill on his own show, but Bill's like, being young can't be an excuse. Well, it can and it can't. The Packers' offense is so young, and their skill position players are so young, and they're actually, like, really, really good when you consider how young they are. I can't find this damn statistic. Maybe you can tell I'm stalling as I'm scrolling. Let me scroll one more time. Right? Their EPA per play is outstanding. A lot of the underlying stats of the offense, they're way better than you'd think they'd be for the youth and the talent that they have. Why can't I find this? Mike Sandy, the athletic, by the way, is very good. He does the quarterback tiers every year. You know, and he goes on every podcast to talk about it. It's it's a whole thing. It's like a media tour uh, every year, normally in about late August, mid-August, somewhere in there. Um, I cannot find this stat. Basically, oh, here it is. The Packers wide receivers and tight ends have combined for 2,903 yards receiving this season. Of that total, all but 65 yards came from players with fewer than three seasons in the league. Put another way, Green Bay has gotten 98% of its wide receiver and tight end production from players with one or two years experience. That is by far the highest percentage among 704 teams since the NFL expanded in 2002 per True Media. The 2018 San Francisco 49ers are second at 76%. 98 versus 76 That's not comparable. What the Packers are doing this year on offense is historically insane. Not just wild for the context of this season or the last 10 seasons. No, historically nuts. And the offense has been pretty good. They're not old enough and they're not organized enough to win in shootouts yet, but that was never supposed to be the way this season worked. The way this season worked was supposed to be the offense hopefully is good enough. They have a strong running game and a strong defense. Well, the defense's bottom has completely dropped out the last two weeks and all the running backs are hurt. Okay. I want to listen to just a little bit of this Joe Barry presser. I don't want to listen to the whole thing. The juicy stuff's probably at the front end anyways. We can pause and, and talk about this as it goes by. But this is Joe Barry at the podium about an hour ago. Joe, what was this week like for you after? You know, what was this week like Sunday? for you is the question. If you well, uh, losing sucks. I mean, always. But, uh, yeah, I'd be lying to you if this, you know, it was... This week particular was hard. It was hard on me, hard on my family. Um, but that's, 
you know, this is the National Football League. This is what you sign up for. So this is, uh, um, you know, there's, what's the saying, you know, no crying and spilt milk, you know, or overspilt milk. So, I mean, um, I think the term, we had a bad, by the way, no, you no crying over spilt milk. I think the more correct expression in this instance would be, there's no crying in baseball. I know that this isn't baseball. This is football, but I, I think that applies better. It doesn't matter. Game. Um, I have to be better for our guys completely. Um, and I, I put that on me all the time. Anytime we don't go play well, um, you know, it's on me. So, um, but yeah, this this week was in particularly hard, to be honest with you. Joe, what kind of steps have you taken to kind of solve or improve the communication issues? Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I think there there were a couple um, um, specific issues, but I mean, there's hmm. there's things in a in a course of a sixty plus football game. Um, there's insane amounts of things from a communication standpoint that take place on every play. So. Um, you know, I, I think the the biggest thing is that it starts with me just, you know, getting these guys better. And, and uh, you know, we were able to come in and, and hopefully correct the things that were correctable uh, on Monday. Um, bounce back, had a great week of practice the last two days. So, um, but yeah, it always starts with me, number one. When you say... I just, he just, he, he, he's a dead man walking. And it's sad. Like, it doesn't bring me any joy. But he's cooked. Like he he doesn't he's doing his best. He's taking accountability, I I guess. And it's probably not all his fault. Um in fact I'm I'm certain it's not all his fault. But he's saying, Yeah, it's it's on me. It's number one, which I guess is the the one thing you have to communicate. He he doesn't have answers for any of this. Let's listen to one more question and answer here and then we can move on. This week was hard going back to Sunday. After that game, did did you question your own job security at that point? Yeah, you know, I've never uh no, you know, because I'm I'm a I'm a firm believer, and I control the controllables, and I control things that I can handle and and I can deal with. Um, I have no control over that. So um, I know, of course, again, back to this is the National Football League. Um, it's the most popular sport, watched sport, talked about sport in the world. Um, well, so of course those things are always going to be out there. That's but, not true. But um, for the purpose of this conversation, and, and hear them, and um, but no, I mean I I I I've learned a long time ago being in this league as long as I have been, um, control what you can control. You know, worry I, about what you can worry about. And I have this uh, uh, I have this pulled up on YouTube because it just happened. So we're going to talk with Mike in a little bit, and he'll probably have some clips he wants to play us to, but I'm reading the YouTube comments. Scroll scroll by, and this one just says, Bryce Young finna throw for 350 on us. And I don't know why that made me laugh, but uh, it does. YouTube comment. I made the mistake of opening up Bill Michaels' YouTube today and reading the comment. That's just a war zone in there. Um, It's no business of mine what you or anybody else thinks of me. So... um, I, I, I try to I try to control what I control all the time, and and when things are going well, obviously, and then also hmm. when things are going bad. Control the control. You can in a way control how how your guys play these last three games. I understand you're going to say you know you coach for your job every week, but do you think these last three weeks you, you're back yourself is pretty much up against the wall in terms of? Oh yeah, I mean I read what you guys write. You know I hear what you guys say. 
Um, but I think that's, again, that's, that's, that's the great thing about our league. That's the great thing about the <sighs> National Football League. It is, you know, the top of the top, the best of the best. Um, and, I mean, I, I think that's a, not only a every year thing, that's, that's an every week thing. But that's, that's, again, when you sign up for this, when we sign up for this, we know that's what we're getting into. And that's the thing I love about this league. Um, that's the thing I love about the sport. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the highest level of competition at every level with every position. Joe, when you say that you need to this be better for your guy. guys, specifically the, the miscommunication, how much of that falls on, on your responsibility to teach them how to execute, how to communicate, what to do, and, and, and why, why hasn't that happened you know, I, I wish to answer the first part. Absolutely, that it, it starts. I'm, I'm a firm believer. It's it's everything is top down. Correct. So everything starts with me. Um, so when when things aren't proper, um, it's my job to get it to get it right. Um, now, it is frustrating. You know when things. You know, you would think at this point, you know, things would be running smoothly, but there's a lot of things that take place in an NFL football game, as I mentioned earlier. You know, um, there, there's so many subtle nuances that have to take place on every single play with all yeah. 11 players. So, but that that's that's part of you know my title as the coordinator to get it coordinated. Nice. Um, and when it doesn't go he, right, he gets it, it is on me. I don't know why. I don't know why I find that so funny. That's part of my title as the coordinator. I have to coordinate. <laughs> this guy on the show, you can break it down in terms of that we understand. Um, look, and I'm. I keep reading the comments over here on YouTube. We all got to stop. We listen to press conferences because I. I genuinely wanted to hear what he had to say about you know what went wrong in the game and maybe what they're doing this week to correct it. He didn't really have an answer that was specific. So um, I'm not saying we just wasted a couple minutes of our time. That was not what I was hoping for. It was mostly just coach speak at a press conference, which also is fine. We got to stop taking press conferences so seriously. Like they're supposed to get up there and spill state secret with us because we're fans and the fans deserve it. Man, we don't deserve anything. Right? They're up there to fulfill an obligation and to fill time and to avoid making headlines in any way. That's really what it's about. That's all it's about. And that's that's fine. Um, I was hoping there would be a little bit more substance there, but it sounds like they had a meeting, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. There are so many little transactions and rotations and calls and checks all the time in a football game, so I am sympathetic to that. But Devondre Campbell is the guy with the green dot on his helmet, and I understand Campbell's banged up and maybe not in a a peak physical position to cover and to tackle and to run, but it's not like you got a bunch of kids out there on the back end. Yes. But a lot was going wrong right in that middle area and coverages with the linebackers and around the line of scrimmage. It's not like other than on a touchdown, Rudy Ford and, and Eric Stokes were confused on a coverage that also happened. But for communication, getting down onto the field, you'd like to think you can trust Devondre Campbell to handle it. And, I don't know. You could have a worse lieutenant, I guess, down there on the field. You could have someone with a lot less experience and a lot less maturity in this league. I don't know. The miscommunication part is disappointing. If you got guys that are getting cooked because Carrington Valentine isn't good enough and Keyshawn Nixon isn't physically good enough, I'm fine. 
but that wasn't even the case. Like, it didn't come to that because the coverage was so poor, you didn't even need to beat coverage. The coverage beat itself. Weren't in the right spot or lined up over here instead of over there. Let's take a three-minute break. We'll have a couple minutes to debrief before we get uh, connected with our friend Mike Clemens coming up at 5.30. Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, just a couple minutes away from Mike Clemens, set to join us at 5.30. Mike can tell us what he heard. Rick, Rich Bisaccia, I almost said Rick Bisaccia. Rich Bisaccia and Joe Barry both speaking with the media within the last couple of hours. We heard a little bit of what Joe Barry had to say. It is over. He is screwed. Uh, just listening to some of those answers. And I, like, I don't hold all of this against Joe Barry. His personnel has got worse and worse and worse as the season's gone along. Jair Alexander, I, I don't, I don't want to have an opinion on this, right? Like, I, I don't want to be that guy that says, oh, Jair doesn't want to be in Green Bay. He doesn't want to play. He's quitting on his team. I, I don't know that. Uh, and as someone with a platform, which I, I, <laughs> like, I don't take it that seriously, but also, like, when I yell things like that into a microphone, it puts it out there, and I don't know that there's any truth to that um but in any event joe barry has lost his best corner he lost his other best corner in a trade i also don't like how joe barry used his corners this year so there was a graphic that got tweeted out today i'll do my best to explain this so this is pff uh data that's been visualized in a graph and uh I hate when people don't have real names on Twitter because I want to shout out who tweeted this graph, but that's not a, it's just a bunch of letters, so I can't shout you out. Um, But basically, it's a graph that's visualizing cornerback separation prevented, right? So how good is a corner at preventing a wide receiver from getting open, right? And it's measured in percentiles. So if you're in the 75th percentile, that's top what three quarters of the league right if you're closer to the hundredth percentile that means you're basically the best so this graph has zone coverage on the y-axis and man coverage on the x-axis so the higher vertically you are on the graph the better you are at preventing separation in zone coverage the farther to the right you are the better at preventing separation in man coverage so ideally you want to be all the way in the upper right hand corner because that means you are great at preventing uh, separation in both man and zone. If you're bottom right, it means you're really good at playing man, but not so great at zone. And if you're all the way at the top, but all the way at the left, it means you're really good in zone, but you're not good in man at all. And it's a really, really interesting, I guess, visualization for what players are good at. Carrington Valentine is top 75% or, or in the you know, the the upper quartile, the upper fourth of the league in man coverage. I don't think Carrington Valentine is some superstar. I don't even know that he's, a, 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 you know, largely above average player, but he's pretty skilled in man coverage. They don't play a ton of man. Right? Keyshawn Nixon is actually top half of the league in man coverage, but they don't 
play a lot of man. Rasul Douglas is about the 80th percentile in the league in man coverage. And they had him playing a lot of zone when he was here earlier this year. And this is why I'm worried not just about Joe Barry. I'm worried about the whole thing. I'm worried about the whole operation from top down. It's like, I don't think their personnel is the best personnel in the league. But I don't know that they maximize the personnel they do have. Right? That's that's your job as a coach, is to take your players, figure out what they're good at, and build the boat around that. To highlight their strengths, to minimize their weaknesses. And I don't know that this Packers defensive staff does that. Right? I don't think they take players in and figure out they're good at this, they're weak at this, all right, we're going to help them with this. I, I just think they take them and they plug them in to whatever they wanted to do in the first place. And, and I don't like the idea of playing the type of defense the Packers play. First of all, it's not really succeeding anywhere in football. Vic Fangio, and it's his scheme in Miami, they're doing okay, but they have Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard and a really good pass rush, and they're still mostly just okay. Brandon Staley's defense sucks. Joe Barry's defense, you know, you could say, well, they don't give up that many points. Well, but they're also not playing that great of competition and all of the underlying numbers, the advanced numbers are just miserable for the Packers. Bottom five in the league in just about everything. So this too high no doubles defense really isn't working. It's not even really working that well for Vic Fangio, who has a ton of talent down in Miami. I I think you need to let your players compete and you need to let your players kind of turn their brain off just a little bit. And I, and I don't mean they don't need to focus. I don't, I'm not saying they don't need to be assignment sure and not saying they don't need to communicate. I'm saying that cornerbacks inherently, the way that they're wired as people and the way that they're wired as players, they want to go 1v1 with someone. They want to get in that dogfight. They want to get in a competition, right? Put me across from a guy. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to clamp him. I don't wanna, I'm going to lock him up. And when you have... That player with that personality sitting in zone, I think there's a lot of pent-up aggression and pent-up energy that the player doesn't know what to do with, right? Because they're standing in in a patch of grass with their you-know-what in their hand. Whereas you really allow Carrington Valentine or Jair when he's healthy to tap in to those traits that make him so good. Like Jair Alexander is powered by certain traits and certain qualities that are conducive to cornerbacks that aren't utilized when you're playing man coverage. So I, I just I just hate so much of everything that this defense is about. And I don't think it's personally Joe Barry. I think it's his system and his scheme, which is specifically what Matt LaFleur wanted. I think it's his staff. I think it's the, the way in which his staff operate. I think it's everything. Right? So you're not going to hear me piss and scream specifically about Joe Barry because I don't think it's just him. I think there's lots of issues outside of the coordinator, but as he said in the presser, and kind of said it in a funny way, it's in my title, to coordinate the defense. Uh, Correct. It was kind of funny hearing a defensive coordinator say exactly that and say it that way, uh, but you're not wrong. That is exactly how that that works. It is your job to coordinate the defense. We'll talk with Mike Clemens. We'll have plenty of time. I don't want to have to rush. He'll join us next. We're back in five minutes on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Joel, what was this week like for you after, you know, everything that happened on Sunday? Well, 
Uh, losing sucks. I mean, always. Okay. Thank you, Chef. So see you guys. Hey, Merry Christmas. You too, Christmas. Good grief. Oh, no. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Joe Barry, that's just from about an hour and a half ago. Don't do this to a man on Christmas, Mike. Mike Clemens is here. Mike, you almost feel bad for the poor guy. He's got to go to Christmas with his family now. He came out in a in a gold Packer sweatshirt, and it had that squiggly line around his belly, just like Charlie Brown. It was oh, the weirdest thing. No. Oh, even looks the part. Well, at least he doesn't have to be around his family this weekend. Hopefully his family doesn't watch the game during their family uh, Christmas gathering and watch his defense get torched <laughs> by Bryce Young. That would be a little too on the nose. It's just what, you know, when, you, when you're, when you know, I mean, the man walked in and it's like, oh, my God, talk about dead man walking. Well, and- I, I watched a little bit of it and I'm like, he's got nothing. He's He's got nothing to say. I mean, he's cooked and he knows it. Yeah, you know, but he, let me ask you something. If the Green Bay Packers had lost to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs 34-20, to 20, what would you be saying? Is it just because it was Baker Mayfield that finally, after four or five years in the NFL, the former Heisman Trophy winner, the former number one overall, had a good game? A good game? Is that what really? Because you know what? There's a half a dozen of those Buccaneers that are wearing Super Bowl rings when they played with Tom Brady, starting with Mike Evans. So it's yeah. I I'm I'm surprised at how hot the seat is for Joe Barry right now. There's actually really? one guy that was joking in the auditorium. He said, "What are you going to ask him?" He said, "I'm going to ask him what's the temperature of his chair right now." <laughs> you got to burn you on know, your ass, Joe. You got to yeah. use some Vaseline or something. But you know, listen, listen. Here's the serious thing. There's probably a younger, uh, more hipper, more sharper-minded defensive coordinator out there that just, you know, waiting to be – instead of the same old names like Steve Spagnola or Wink Martindale, you know, or Vic Fangio, uh, there's probably some, some new, hip, trendy guy that's out there. I don't know if Matt LaFleur knows who he is. Yeah. But it's like, you know, you can make a change like this. And then you could be a year from now and saying, oh, man, I wish we had Joe Barry back, right? I don't know that I'll ever think that because I, I don't know that this is tenable right now. Um, and if they take a swing and the next guy stinks, then I guess you just start looking for the next. It's a lot like drafting players. It's like you try to draft a wide receiver, and if he stinks, that doesn't mean that you can't draft another wide receiver. you got to keep looking, I, I guess. No, I, I don't know that I'll look back with regret if they move on from Joe Barry and the next guy isn't that much better. Um, what if your next defensive coordinator is on the other side of the field on Sunday when you're playing the Carolina Panthers? Ejiro Avero? How about that? Could be. I look, the scheme is is it the scheme isn't secondary. I don't want to say that. I think you can win with lots of different schemes in the NFL, Mike. My issue with the Packers defense, and it's been this way for years now, I don't know that they preach the right things, that they teach the right things. Players come in and they get fundamentally worse or they regress or they don't get any better. Um, and they keep, you know, investing, investing. And if you had a financial investor, you give them a hundred bucks every month and they're giving you back like 101 bucks every month and be like, well, I'm not going to invest. This isn't worth my time. You're not giving me enough. I, I don't know that the return on investment when the Packers draft players or sign players and put them onto this defense 
I don't know that these coaches, these position coaches as well, are additive. You know, I, there's just not a lot of juice there. Well, 25-year NFL vet Joe Barry, who was, you know, on that Lions team that went 0-16, uh, I think it was a linebacker coach then, he came in today, had a long press conference, and by the way they rotate these things, uh, if the Packers don't go to the playoffs, it might be the last time that we get a chance to have a press conference with them in the auditorium. Uh, if, in fact, uh, he's done after the season. Three more games left. And so Joe was asked when he walked in, he said, hello, good afternoon. He knew what was coming. Everybody knew what they wanted to ask. And he was asked, you know, so what has this week been like after losing 34-20 to 20 to the Buccaneers? Well, uh, losing sucks. I mean, always. But, uh, yeah, I'd be lying to you if this, you know, it was – this week particular was hard. It was hard on me, hard on my family. Um, but that's, you know, this is the National Football League. This is what you sign up for. So this is, uh, um, you know, there's, what's the saying? You know, no crying and spilt milk, you know, or overspilt milk. So, I mean, um, you deal with it. Wouldn't the better no, expression, no, no, Mike? Joe, you... Joe, Joe, that's not the saying. Yeah. There's no crying in overspilled milk. No, there's no crying in baseball. That's it. That's what I said earlier because I read and, this quote. I'm like, I think the baseball quote makes more sense. Don't cry over spilled milk. Uh, See, if you got to sit in two hours of meetings with this guy, you're going to get that every 15 minutes. And you, you'll be laughing and chuckling and snort laughing to yourself like, that's Joe. That's Joe right there. Right so, there. So the expression would be, well, there's no crying over. You don't want to cry over spilled milk. The Buccaneers game happened, right, and we have to move on. That would be appropriate. Or saying, look, this week has sucked, and it's been a bummer for me, and it's been hard on my family, but this is the NFL, and there's no crying in baseball. It doesn't really apply, but the, the spirit of that expression does. Here's more what the current defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers had to say about what this week has been like. Um, you deal with it. We had a bad game. Um, I have to be better for our guys completely. Um, and I, I put that on me all the time. Anytime we don't go play well, um, you know, it's on me. So, um, but yeah, th this, this week was in particularly hard to be honest with you. Why do you think, I don't know, you, you poked, you pointed out earlier, Mike, it's like, is it just because it's against Baker Mayfield? No, I, I think Baker Mayfield's fine. I think it was because for four straight quarters, Mike, they couldn't do anything. It's enough. That it's to, to give up right. 30 points is one thing, but we watched for four straight quarters. It's like you, 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 you there's no point in even focusing on the game in the fourth no. quarter because you knew even if the offense scored, the defense would just give it up again. If Joe Barry was a plumber and you say, hey, I got a leak somewhere in the basement. Oh, no problem. And like four hours later, he still can't find it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's... It, I mean, you, there's a system. You got to find it, and you got to wonder why Chris Godwin keeps on getting back-to-back 20-yard -back receptions. One is understandable, three or four, but back-to-back -back at one point in the game, yeah. as the game is slipping away, that's that's the problem. Yeah. So your head coach says, "Okay, right after the game, I watched the tape, went over it again with staff on Monday morning. Now I'm talking to you guys four or five o'clock Monday afternoon, and it's a communication like." Half the time we had the right scheme, but we weren't shifting. We weren't shifting the field. We had the right matchup personnel-wise, but someone's not making the call. 
repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And then Devondre Campbell gets all into it and saying, well, they're pointing the finger at me, and I'm out there playing injured, so to hell with y'all, I'm not going to play injured anymore. And then they said, okay, Devondre, if you're that banged up with the neck stinger and the ankles and all that, how about you just take the week off and we'll put Isaiah McDuffie out there. I still have not actually had a, a good opportunity to take somebody aside and say, why Eric Stokes full-time over Corey Ballantyne? By the way, I got a great interview with Corey Ballantyne. I'm going to share that with you guys tomorrow on Bill's show. Oh, okay. yeah. So uh, those kinds of questions. And, you know, and Campbell, why is he out there when, you know, the way McDuffie has played and, uh, you know, Quay Walker, et cetera. Um, so, you know, LaFleur said it's communication. And Joe Barry, you know, was upfront about that. He says, okay, communication, that's on me. I'll, I'll take all the full blame for the final product. Mm-hmm. And he reacted to LaFleur saying, you know, it was a breakdown in communication on the field. That, that's, that's part of, you know, my title as the coordinator, to get it coordinated. Um, and when it doesn't go right, it is on me, and it's my job to get it done. What happened on the back-to-back, you know, 20-yard gains by Godwin, and then the, the one to David Moore? Because it looked like there was a lot of missed tackles on one of those plays as well. Yeah, there was, you know, the one with the long one in particular, which was really... Uh, it was brutal. They, they had a, a change of strength motion, and um, we didn't rotate properly. Um, now, we could have saved the day, you know. Uh, I, that was a 51-yard touchdown, you know. I think, uh, you know, it could have been held to, you know, a 4-yard gain or a 10-yard gain or a 12-yard gain. That's where, you know, the importance of tackling all the time is so important. But um, ultimately what happened you know, big picture was we didn't get it rotated properly on the motion when Mike Evans motioned. Well, and what's frustrating, Mike, is I understand he's a little bit hamstrung by his secondary, right? There's some players that don't have a ton of experience. They're not exactly all pros back there. You're down Rasul, you're down Jair Alexander. But Devondre Campbell's the one wearing the helmet. Like, he's an experienced NFL veteran. He's played so much football. You have that guy as your eyes and ears and voice down on the field. You got to be able to do a lot better than they did on Sunday. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe Barry, though, you know, defending his guys, yeah. you know, repeating the story about, you know, Devondre being a warrior. He called him a warrior again today. Yeah. And playing through injury and the intense leader that he is. And that's that's all true. And then he was asked, you get any sense you're losing these guys? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. No, I, you know, I mean, we had two great we've had two great practices this week. Uh, everybody's just in move forward mode. We talked about. You know, we went over the tape on Monday. We made some corrections, uh, you know, and, and we know we're three games away. and We still got a chance of, you know, getting the postseason. So, but, I mean, it, it's, God, you talk about an elephant in the room. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Because I don't think this is so much. LeFleur, I think, is very objective. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, hey, nothing personal. We got to win. And if you, you're, you're no as a defense coordinator, you're no different than one of these players. You know, you, you fumble twice, uh, third time you're gone. Yeah. And, and you know, nothing personal, but I am going to make a change and I'm going to find somebody probably outside. But that's the other thing is, is you know, if you fire a defensive coordinator, it's going to be some new guy coming in. He's going to bring in four or five more coaches. It's going to be new language. And, you know, when you're talking about Rashawn Gary and, those, and company, be careful for what you wish for. Yeah. 
I think I think Matt Lafleur is very objective, which is probably why he drives fans crazy. Fan is short for fanatic, as I say often, Mike. Uh, Matt Lafleur, I think, understands the situation with this defense. I, I just I just think this offseason they're going to have to take a long, hard look at what they've invested into this defense over the years and the results that they've got or haven't got. And they got to ask, are we going to keep doing this? Because we keep doing the same thing and we're getting the same results, right? And for and for the most part, they haven't been good enough. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think Matt Lafleur's going to have like to take Joe a long says, look at this. It's like Joe says, hey, no crying over overspilled milk. No you crying know? in spilled milk. That, that too. <laughs> hey, while I have you, Luke Musgrave, his window was open today. That's awesome news. I didn't expect As to a see that. Fact, they emptied out the training room today. Everybody out of the tub. Let's go out. Let's go out and play football today. Yeah. Luke Musgrave, who's been dealing with a lacerated kidney, trotted around out there a little bit. He was out there. Um, Luke Tenuta, what is he? Six nine. This big dude. That the one thing we got good against to say is that we just, you know, when you get a big dude like that, you want to see what he can do. He jacked up his ankle in Cincinnati, and we haven't seen him since. He was out there trotting around on the field today. So, you know, and, and uh, Emmanuel Wilson, the great running back, who in that same game in Cincinnati had an 80-yard run mm-hmm. in the preseason. And on the same series, was it that the Rams game where Aaron Jones goes down with this MCL that he's been dealing with? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, like a series or two later, Emmanuel Wilson takes a really hard hit and uh, jacks up his shoulder. When, in fact, he could have been getting all of these reps along with A.J. Dillon. LaFleur is actually the one to point that out. Um, he was out there in limited participation today. So it was kind of a day where they're getting some of these guys to say, hey, look, there's three weeks left. Let's get you out there. Let's see if we can get you snaps and, and see what you look like under the lights as we you know begin our final evaluations as to who's going to be back here in Green Bay next year. Injuries are never a good thing, but for this team and what they've experienced this year, you know, Christian Watson missing some time has given more reps to Dontavian Wicks. Malik Keith. And I think at the end of the year, they'll be in a better place for that. And with Luke Musgrave, like exploding his kidney, Tucker Kraft has gotten to play a lot more and he's become a really nice tight end that I trust a lot in spots down the stretch here. So it's again, injuries are never a good thing, but if you're looking for a positive spin, everybody's got to play at some point this year and every player just about has had their moment at one point or another. And the coaches, including Adam Stenovich, offensive coordinator, just said this about 45 minutes ago. Like, you know, you got to be honest. We had Tucker Craft, uh, you know, in OTAs and minicamp and camp and had some snaps and plays, but it's not until Luke Musgrave is gone yeah. and you say, okay, let's throw him the ball down the sideline, and he starts hurling over guys and running with the ball like it was, you know, George Kittle, that you go, you don't really know what you got until you've got them in an NFL football game. There's nothing else you can do to simulate this thing, and – now they can hardly wait for Musgrave to get back and to be in, what do they call it, 12 personnel where they got one running back and two tight ends. Yeah. And the damage that they could do with those two tight ends, they're very excited about that. I'd say 22 uh, you know, personnel, but they haven't had more than one running back healthy that they trust for, it feels like, right. two months now. So we'll stick right. with 12. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That'll have to work. Um, uh, another thought today is this. I mean, this is like the second year we've had 17 games. I saw a rookie. Uh, he he was going to talk to us, and he said, "Can I can I go to the hot tub?" He was walking so stiff after a Thursday practice today. We let him go, and that's Carrington Valentine. These dudes are stiff, man. Yeah, they, they are banged 
him go off to the hot tub because he needed to get some relief before he had to go to the second half of his day, which is more review of today's practice, more look at tape of the Carolina Panthers, a Panthers team that was 1-12, and and then they took on the Falcons in the rain, and it was just a sloppy game. The Falcons, I think, fumbled twice or three times. The Carolina fumbled twice, but they recovered their fumbles. And um, the, the last, and then uh, Des Ritter throws a really horrible interception into like triple coverage. Misses Drake London, who was wide open off to the left. He ends up getting benched as a result of the game. And then Bryce Young settles down, gets in there in the fourth quarter, 17 play drive, doesn't end able to score, but sets up for a field goal attempt, which they win. And they beat the Falcons on three field goals, 9-7. to seven. So that's the kind of team you're facing oh, uh, coming up this weekend. It's, it's going to be it's going to look like a Bears game. You know, it's going to be one of those things where they've got some hard-hitting guys on defense, but, you know, you got to you got to be careful to not be dragged down to their level. It's going to be that kind of a game. Well, and I know it's on the road, but I don't think Panthers fans are exactly psyched about the state of their team right now, even though they won last week. You know, no one was there. No. It was gross outside. It looked yeah. like an empty stadium. Well, it, it was, probably because of the weather. Yeah. It was actually sold out, but they had all kinds of empty seats. Uh, so, you know, the Panther fans sell out like show. like a Nebraska football sellout, like sure, yeah. wink and, and a this, nod and, sellout. And this week they anticipate there's going to be a lot of Packer fans that just made the trip and said, well, let's go to Carolina for Christmas. And I'm always go watch oh, I'm, I'm always scared of that because that happened in Vegas and they played like crap that happened in yeah. against the Chargers. Remember that a couple years ago when they went out to play the Chargers, I think. Yeah. In Rod, was that Rogers' first MVP year? And they just look like dump, or maybe that was 2019. And I, yeah, I always no. walk into the bear trap of thinking, oh, it's going to be a home crowd. And it never makes a difference. Right, right. No, I yeah. remember that game. I was in that temporary stadium, too. Yeah. yeah, soccer stadium. That was, I believe, if I could be wrong, I think they had just fired their offensive coordinator and promoted Shane Steichen at the time, who's now the head mm-hmm. coach. Look at that. Gone on to do great things. And all he had to do was beat Aaron Rodgers and. And the Packers. Hey, hey, here's another one. Their special teams. You know, Tabor is the interim coach. He's yeah. actually a very good special teams guy. His punter is Johnny Hecker. And so Rich Bisaccia came out this afternoon, your special teams coordinator. And this is what makes the difference between him and, say, Mike McCarthy's Ron Zook. He wow. Goes, Johnny Hecker, is, uh, he's not only a punter, he's a quarterback. He, he's, he's attempted 25 throws as fake punts. He's got a good arm. And I said, um, like the one in 2018. And he looked at me like, what? And I, and I said, <laughs> in 2018, uh, the Packers were in the Coliseum playing a young Sean McVay. Yep. And and Johnny Hecker, uh, instead of punting at a critical point where the Packers had the lead and had control that game, and instead of punting, he rears back and he throws one to Sam Shields, the former Packer, who gets a, a clutch first down, and that's, that's how Sean McVay flipped that game and was able to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And the guy that he beat, Kevin King. And that was the Ty Montgomery game and the game where Jair Alexander kind of stepped out and and showed that maybe he could really play. Yes. Uh, I would keep going back to 2017, but that's about where my memory runs out. So I I would love to keep trading games with you, but I I think that's the end of my, uh, my historical knowledge. Mike, I appreciate you. Have a great Christmas this weekend, a great holiday. I appreciate all that you do for all of our shows and what you do for my show twice a week. Thank you. You too, Grant. Thank you. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours.
an expression that I, I love using. Makes me feel like an old man. All right, let's take our final three-minute break. Wisco Sports Show will wrap it up. Turn things over to Mr. Temple and Mr. Heilprin. Zach and Jesse live at Monks and Sun Prairie. Talk about a really good signing day for the Badgers yesterday. So some great Badgers content coming up next. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show, however, in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Only got about 60 seconds wrapping up the Wisco Sports Show. We appreciate Mike Clements, his reporting. Especially his injury updates today. Luke Musgrave trending in the right direction. Maybe get some of these running backs back this weekend as well. We're going to get Zach and Jesse coming up in just a couple of minutes. Live at Monks and Sun Prairie, east side of Madison. So stop in for the show. Watch Thursday night football. Watch the Bucks there tonight. Food, drink specials. And the show, they got lots to talk about. Big signing day for the Badgers in their recruiting class yesterday. Temple and Heilprin next. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4. Never miss a Friday show. Never miss a Friday show.